Well, uh, I want to echo what Ryan said earlier. Happy Father's Day. Uh, so thrilled for uh, just this really, really gracious uh, thing that we have in, in our dads. Um, uh, for so many of us, uh, our dads have been influential. As Ryan said earlier, either um, positively or, or, or negatively. And, and by the grace of God, um, I am really, really uh, thankful for my dad. Uh, who gets to worship with us and with me every single Sunday. And, and in fact, he was able to lead us in prayer this morning uh, as we were kind of preparing as our worship uh, leader teams. And so um, I'm really, really grateful. Thankful for you, Dad. Um, but we also know that this is a time also of kind of mourning, you know, uh, that, uh, that this is not, uh, having a good dad is not a ubiquitous um, opportunity to all of us in this room. And uh, so we just want to know, want you to know as a church, if, if you're here and you're kind of suffering and you're just like, I, Cody, I kind of wish we'd move past this and you didn't even talk about it anymore for the rest of the service, uh, just know that uh, this is the family of God, that God has set up local congregations to function together as a family so that there's many um, brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers whenever you belong to a local congregation. And... Um, my hope for you is that you would uh, you'd ante up and you'd say, "Hey, this is this is something that I want to be a part of. I, I want to know what it mean what it means to have a meaningful next step here at Redeemer Church to belong to this local expression of the family of God here in Wichita Falls. And it doesn't matter how long you've been here, Cole. You you leave at the end of the summer, right? Um, and Cole's a, Cole's a member of Redeemer Church, and so we we want to be quick to uh, adopt, equip, and send out, uh, no matter where the Lord is is taking you. And so let's do this. Let's open up our time before we even dive into the text that Colleen read, and let's just pray. Let's pray for the family of God to operate in the way that God has designed for us to operate in, and uh, to have many brothers and sisters that love one another, and also fathers that guide us in the faith, and mothers that lead us as well. Um, so let's pray. Let's pray for us to function that way this morning. Father, thank you for letting us call you Father. Thank you for um, choosing this expression of how you want to articulate who you are to us. That we are your children and you are the everlasting Father who will never let us down who will never break his heart, our hearts, who will never, will never break any promises that you have made to us, that you will carry them all into completion through the Son. So, Lord, we're, we're grateful. And, Lord, we pray for Redeemer Church. Lord, we pray that as you are establishing this local congregation here in Wichita Falls, that we function together as a family, that we truly live up to the values of being a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. And that means everything that you mean it to mean here in, in your word. That you transform us, that you make us, that you mold us, that you knit our hearts together. That we treasure, we treasure the reality that whenever one of us begins to grow, we are not threatened by that growth, but we celebrate it. And whenever one of us begins to lead, we are not threatened by that leadership, but we rejoice in it. That we are all able to use our gifts for the glory of God, for the, for, the, for the mission of God, to make disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth. Not just here in Wichita Falls, but let us be an equipping church to the ends of the earth. Let us send out our best and brightest as a, as a family, 
as a family of families that multiplies for the mission of God. Do that in our midst. Lord, we thank you for what you've established um, in our families, in the city, um, for the gospel witness uh, of our brothers and sisters uh, of different uh, faith expressions and different uh, little things all throughout our city that are exalting you. We rejoice in them as well. And I pray that you lift up all fathers to live up uh, their their God-given potential and responsibility of leadership. We pray all this because of Jesus. Amen. Let's refocus back into James. This is really the conclusion of James. Uh, Verse 13 is starting with the conclusion of James. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him or her pray. And what's been so interesting about this as as I've kind of uh, studied this week is I was reminded of how almost all the Pauline epistles and James epistles right here ends Ends almost every single one of the Pauline epistles from Romans to Philemon. You know how Paul wants to end by calling his churches to do? You know what he's calling them to do? Pray. He's calling them to pray. Uh, pray earnestly for the saints. Pray for me. Pray for the mission of God. Pray for the glory of God to, to, go, to go out. Pray for this brother and that brother and this sister over here. Pray, pray, pray. And James is doing the exact same thing. So he's concluding his letter with saying, you know what we need to do now? What do we need to do as the gospel-centered community? We need to pray. We need to focus in on why we exist and who we exist for and why uh, why we are here today, which is to commune with God, to commune with God. Why we're here every day is to, we exist for the worship of our great God. And so he's saying commune with him. And so incidentally, incidentally, he uses a very, a common word for suffering is like, is anyone really experiencing anything bad is literally the two words for suffering in the Greek of what he's expressing here. Is anyone experiencing something bad? Period. Stop. He says, talk to God about it. Talk to God. What's going on in your life? Is your first inclination to go to God with it? That's what James is calling uh, his listeners to do. And that's what James is calling us to do right now. Is he saying, what, what is your knee-jerk heart reaction whenever life comes at you, no matter what? If something bad is coming at you, look what he says. Pray. Pray. Why? Hebrews tells us. He says, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in our time of need. So, uh, the author of Hebrews knows why. He's like, Jesus cares. He cares. We can draw near to him because he cares and he loves us. So if things are going bad in your life, what are you supposed to do? Pray. And the very next thing, what does he say? If it, is anyone among you cheerful? <laughs> he says, let them sing praise. Uh, singing praise here is kind of uh, like a, a, a more enthusiastic prayer. So if anything is going, going uh, on in your life that is not bad, but he goes to the opposite extreme over here and says, if anything's going good and you have something to rejoice about, praise God for that. Sing out loud. Roll down the window in the car and sing with people. Even if it's weird, whenever you're looking at people and you're just singing, singing next to you, if you pull up to the stop, it's like, hey, sing along. The next word is like, hallelujah. Sing with me. Rejoice. You know, this is what he's calling us to do. From the spectrum of bad stuff to good stuff, we are supposed to talk to God about it. Why? Because we exist for him. And, and this has really been James' point the entire 
uh, the entire time. This is why this series is called What uh, uh, Gospel-Centered Community. Why and how are we to exist as a community that centers ourselves on Jesus? That centers ourselves on Jesus. We're supposed to commune with him all the time. Now, if you know me very well, you know that it's not hard for me to talk to people. Uh, I will go up and talk to anyone about anything, and I can most likely uh, find something to connect connect on, and whether it's the Joe Rogan Experience podcast or, you know, with some of my friends uh, that uh, kind of are in that world or if it's something about, you know, like stars and wandering stars over here and just like the, I, I can find something to talk to, to you, just about anything. Uh, my dad was with me one time whenever we went to a mattress store and uh, the, this guy was talking about something and I just threw it out there because he was, he fed the fit the profile. He was a guy, he was about 33 years old. I was like, hey man, you ever listen to Joe Rogan? <laughs> and uh, he was like, yeah, dude, of course. I, I, I can find something to talk to about pretty much anyone. And some of y'all are in this room are just like, nah, I'm an introvert. That, that, that is my nightmare. That is the opposite of my love language. I would never just go up and just try to uh, start a conversation with someone. But I promise you this, if you're an introvert in this room, you have someone who is your go-to po- person. Whether that, that is your mom or your dad or your sister or your just best friend from, that lives in a different town. If you've ever been around an introvert that is around their person, what happens? Just, just talking the entire time. Just talk, 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 talk. And he's like, where, where did this come from? Like, if you ever experienced, you're like, what is going on with this? I, I didn't, I've never, never experienced this side, this side of them. And this is, this is my point. My point is we all have that person. We all have someone that we just will go to and connect with, and you don't have to twist our arm to commune with them. You don't have to twist our arm to have a good time with them. You don't have to twist our arm to talk with them. And what James is saying here is he's he's saying that person should be God. That person should be God. doesn't matter if you're introverted or extroverted. Who are we supposed to go to with everything on our best days and on our worst days? The Lord. The Lord. Because look what... Uh, Jesus said right before he went to the cross, he says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You are my friends. Jesus says, if you have communed with me, if you receive the grace that I offer to you through my death and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit is residing inside of your heart, you're a friend of God. Go to him with everything. Go to him with everything. And that's James major point whenever he's concluding this passage, when he's concluding his letter. So here's my question. How are you doing? How are you doing with this? Is this something that is the knee-jerk, natural inclination of your heart? Do you go to God? Do you go to God with everything? Samuel Chad, Chadwick, I, I've, I've read this quote before, but the, um, we're, we're basically uh, a little bit of a different church now, and so uh, this is hopefully new to some Samuel Chadwick was a a Wesleyan minister who saw an amazing revival during his time. He was born uh, in 1860, and he says this, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. He dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep his saints from sinning. I'm going to say that again. His one concern is to keep the people of God from, from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless Bible studies. He fears nothing of prayerless work. He fears nothing of prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles whenever we pray. He trembles when we pray. 
The only thing he's trying to keep us from doing is pray. I'll tell you what, I, I had a renewed sense of this during uh, COVID-19. We moved here about nine days before the lockdown started. And uh, we thought, oh, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to go. I'm an extrovert. I'm just going to meet everyone that I'm talking to. Like, everyone's like, hey, do you come to Redeemer? Check it out. You know, all this stuff. The lockdown, can't talk to anyone. Uh, just for, for, we had no idea how long that was going to go. And I had to renew this sense of, okay, Lord, I have no one to talk to but you. God, can you, can you, can you transform? Can you change? Can you save people? Can you establish Redeemer Church? I don't even know how you're going to do it. I don't even know if this is going to happen for a year, two years. I don't know. But, Lord, I'm coming to you every single day. I'm hitting the floor. I'm getting on my knees. I'm begging you to move. I remember one time I was uh, helping a, a friend, Matt Moore, move in college. And Matt uh, was moving into a place, and I was sitting some stuff down. And he looked, at, he looked at his closet, and he goes, ooh, check out my closet. This is a great prayer closet. And I go, ooh. I've never thought about that in my entire life. Uh, this guy, I was helping him move in, and he was, he was saying, this is going to be a great place for me to commune with God. Isn't that amazing? Where's your prayer closet? Another hard question. Do you, do you have a spot that you know, that the people closest to you, that your spouse knows, that this is where you go to meet with God? Where, where is that? For the, the for some of us, we might have to start transforming how we spend our days. And you say, Cody, you know, this is, this is hard. This is, you're talking about spiritual disciplines. And, and the, the, you know, my, my spiritual gift is not spiritual discipline. So I, I'm just not good at praying. I'm not good at reading the Bible. I'm not good at really having a time to commune with God. You want to know why? Because, you know what, I kind of just do it all, all, all the time. Something happens, squirrel runs by, and I, and I say something, and I just say, oh, oh. And it's like, Lord, please forgive me for what I said about that squirrel driving in front of me. You might have to, listen, you might have to start transforming how you spend your, how, how you schedule your time. For me, I know, I can promise you, and Stephanie knows, when I'm going to get up early in the morning. You want to know why? Because I prepare the night before. Uh, because I'm not a morning person. And you say, Cody, I've heard your routine, those that have, and you are a morning person. No, I'm not. I'm not a morning person. But I prepare. I prepare. You want to know why? Because I want to meet with God. I want to meet with God. And one of, the, one of the reasons I get up early is because I don't want us to have a congregation of just saying, oh, you know, Cody, he's, wish I had his job. I'd be close to Jesus too if all I had to do was sit around and pray and read the Bible all day. And I was like, no, I, I do that. I do that before eight to five. I do that before eight to five. And this isn't, this isn't about me. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm trying to challenge. We, we might have to reorient how we spend our time how we spend our days, because this is what James is calling us to, to commune with God. When you belong to him, you commune with him. Uh, I'll stop beating this uh, into our brains and into our hearts in a second, but I, I was reading a book on prayer and by Tim Keller, and he talks about his wife coming to him one day, and Tim Keller is a, is a church planter. He, he planted a church called Redeemer. I know, maybe a little hero of mine, but... Uh, uh, Tim Keller, he, he, started, he started this church in 1989. Uh, and uh, they were about, I think, seven or eight years into uh, the church, and things started getting really hard. His wife started having a lot of health issues. Uh, things were really hard. New York City was not an easy place to reach people with the gospel. And Kathy came to him one day and just said, you know what? Um, imagine we both got sick and there was this pill that we had to take every single day. And if we didn't take it, we we're going to die immediately. He says, okay, I'm listening. 
He goes, that pill that we have to take is prayer. He says, I'm going to die if we do not get together and we pray every single day. And he writes in that book that he has not missed a day of prayer with his wife since that day. Um, There's a challenge there. There's a challenge here. But there's also a natural reflex for us as believers that this is a wake-up call. What James is calling us to is he's saying, are you not communing with God? Do you belong to him? Do you belong to him? Because if you do, remember that he is your friend that he's your friend, that he, that he died for you, that he's the reason that you woke up in the morning, that he's the, re- he's the source of life that you have. Go to him. Stop living by lies. Abide in the truth. Run to him with everything. Run to him with everything that you have. And so that, that's how he starts out. He says prayer, uh, but he broadens out how we're supposed to pray. He talks about individual prayer, about talking about everything. Then he broadens it out to, to per- not just personal, but he broadens it out to the church. And he says, if any, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her and, and anointing uh, them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so he's talking about if someone is really, really sick and he can't, they can't go uh, to, to the elders, he said the elders should go to them. And this is, this is something that Jesus did all the time. If someone was really, really sick, where did Jesus go? He left everything. He, he often go to um, someone's uh, deathbed to go and heal them. And so that's kind of the, the, the presentation that James is presenting here of what the elders are called to do. But here's an interesting question. Uh, as you read that kind of confusing verse, like aren't there a lot of different interpretations here? Like how does this church feel about it all? Like, well, isn't it interesting that James says, whenever you're sick, call the elders to go pray and not go call those that have the gift of healing to go pray. He doesn't say, go call the healers, because that would make sense, right? In, in, in our Western, you know, like kind of synthesizing uh, thought process, wouldn't it make sense if, uh, if there are different people within the church that had gifts of healing that you would call them? Go call the healers. No, he said, call the elders. And why, why is that, a, uh, why is that a, a good question? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks extensively. It talks extensively about how... Uh, the Spirit of God gives to some people the gift of healing. It's the same word that's used here in, here in James. He's like, Cody, you're going to have to unpack this because it makes me a little uncomfortable. So is the gift of healing just everyone in the doctors? Well, hang on. Um, let's uh, let's kind of dive into 1 Corinthians. And unfortunately, just to uh, talk through all of this, we got kind of got to talk through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses um, really 12, 13, and 14. And look, look what it says. It says, uh, I'm just going to read it to you. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. For the one who has, uh, who has given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one Spirit. And so he's saying that this actually is a deal. This is a thing. Uh, and we, we're going to have to... Because we're a Bible-centric church, we're going to have to fit this into our theology. We're going to have to try to understand and unpack what, it, what is this actually saying. Because here in the West, this makes us a little uncomfortable, does it not? Notice it's quiet in here. We're all, we're all a little uncomfortable with what this is saying because it, we don't actually know what it's saying. We, we, we have this aversion due to our, uh, sec, the secular waters that we're swimming in to anything supernatural. And this is one of the reasons. And this is one of the reasons. But look what it says here in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. 
and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And then he goes on to say, give this whole body analogy. Here in the body of Christ, uh, we have different functions, different roles. He says, just because one of you serve as a foot and the other one serves as a hand, like, oh, man, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body. He's like, no, man, like, you're a foot. That's awesome. You go be a foot. Like, you, you be the best foot you can possibly be. And then he goes on to say, it was like, oh, I'm an eye and I'm not an ear. I can't even hear, but I can only see, so I must not be part of the body. And he goes, no, that's crazy. You go be the best eye you possibly can. God, God has distributed his gifts for different functions, just like the body. Uh, it doesn't all have the same purpose and function, but it's all uh, controlled and, 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 and uh, really functions together who is the head, uh, which is Christ. And he kind of does it all for the mission mission of God. And look at what he says in verse uh, 28 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 12. He says, and God has appointed to the, to the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and so on. And then he goes on to say, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all heal? And the implication is no. No. So, so what is this saying? It's saying that God does, um, in his providential plan, give some people the ability to at some point uh, do, uh, do an act of healing on someone. However, I think the Bible is explicitly against saying that this person over here is a healer. This person is a healer. Uh, so let me, let me explain the difference between the two. Uh, God, sometimes providentially, um, which is completely his prerogative to do so, whenever we pray for those to be healed, he will, say, he will answer that with a resounding yes. Uh, my mom had uh, cancer in 2019. And one of the things I earnestly did every single day was pray that she was healed. Um, and I prayed that she was miraculously healed. I prayed that she went, had scan, cancer. Next time she went, scan, no cancer. You know what happened? That didn't happen. Every scan, she came back with cancer until she had surgery. And then that scan after that didn't have cancer. And you say, well, there you go, Cody. Uh, God doesn't heal uh, miraculously anymore. It's like, wait, wait, I can, <laughs> I, can give, I can give a myriad of different examples of God doing, doing that thing. But it's, here's the point. The point is this that God chooses to heal on his own prerogative. Did he heal my mom from cancer? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I, pray, I, I prayed the same, using my mom as ex- example again. Um, she was hospitalized with COVID-19. Sorry, I'm kind of HIPAA. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going against all HIPAA uh, stuff. Um, but uh, she was diagnosed with COVID-19. Eight days later, she was hospitalized for three days. And I prayed every single day. Uh, that God that God would heal her, and guess what? He slow he healed her a whole lot slower than I wanted to. Uh, I wanted her to be healed, um, but she had surgery uh, about a, a little over a month ago, and now all of her complications have subsided. So this is one of the ways that God has used uh, His foreknowledge to equip people to to act as as healers, not just in the medical field, but also there are examples of God just miraculously healing people all the time. Um, but uh, this is scary to us, is it not? It's scary to us. And there's, there's something that we have to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. And uh, this is what one camp wants to do. Uh, one, one camp just wants to punt the big three. They just want to say, let's get rid of it. 
Let's get, let's get rid let's say sayonara to the big three. You know who the, what the big three are? LeBron, Kobe, MJ. No, different, different big three. Uh, tongues, prophecies, and healing. And so he introduces all of these in chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, you know what he says? Uh, you probably, if you are married in this room, you probably had chapter 13 read at your wedding. Uh, that's all about love. And the whole point, the whole point of this is to say, hey, who cares if you can, uh, you speak in a thousand tongues? Who cares if you can prophesy and have a special uh, knowledge about something that, uh, that only God could reveal to you? Or who cares if you can, uh, you have the gift of healing if you don't have love? All these gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. They're all for the building up of the body of Christ. And so what he's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is this. He says, if you don't love people, whenever you are, uh, whenever God chose by his, by his sovereign will to uh, interact with one of the big three in your life for the edif- edification and the building up the church, guess what? You're, you're missing the boat. You're missing the boat. You say, well, Cody doesn't say in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, I know I'm preaching to just a couple of theological nerds in here, but uh, uh, this is important. Uh, it doesn't say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that uh, uh, tongues will cease, and so therefore we should interpret that the big three have ceased, healing, prophecy, and tongues. These, are, these have all ceased. Well, I would say, well, that would be confusing if he said in chapter 12, these things exist. Chapter 13, they're for the building up of the community, and they're to be done in love. And then chapter 14 after he says that they will cease, which I think is really just talking about the last day, we'll have no need for it whenever we see Jesus face to face. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, earnestly seek the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly seek these things. You say, Cody, how do you seek them? Pray. Pray. That's the context. Pray and ask God for them. You say, well, Cody, how is this? How is this? this makes me really, really uncomfortable. How is this going to manifest? Here's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I know that 1 Corinthians 14 calls you to earnestly seek them. How do you earnestly seek things from the Lord? Pray and ask God to do, to do it in, in your heart and in your person. And say, God, if you want me to speak in tongues, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to take an online YouTube class or anything like that. Um, that's ridiculous. But if the Lord wants, wants you to, to engage in this, then guess what? Pray and say, God, uh, do this in me as I abide in you and as I treasure Christ. And if you want me to, to prophesy and speak, speak truth to someone, which is basically what all prophesy, prophesying means right here, is speaking the truth and, and God revealing something that's deep, uh, that's going on deep inside their heart that you would have no way of knowing, and you engage in a conversation, you say, how did you know that? It's like the Lord just laid it on my heart. Um, it's like, listen, you don't need to make a practice of doing these things because, listen, this is not saying that there are prophets among you, there are healers among you, and there, there are those, and the tonguesians are among you. What it's saying is sometimes God chooses to use these miraculous gifts in the body of Christ. And, and listen, I, I think this is backed up by, by Scripture because Jesus and Paul said that in the last days, in the last days, there will be many leaders that come forward with all these miraculous, like, signs and healings and gifts and all this stuff. And you know what Jesus will say to those people? He said, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I never knew you. And so uh, just, just because uh, God has used you uh, in a really, really 
um, supernatural way in one of the big three does not mean that you have a unique, close relationship with the Lord. In fact, uh, the Bible goes the opposite to, to say that, hey, some people that are um, expressing these things or at least building themselves up in the midst of all this, guess what? They, they might be charlatans, and they might have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so if someone comes to me and just says, hey, this person, um, this person is God is really using to heal people, you know what? I don't get too excited about it. He was like, hell, look at this YouTube star or whatever. Look at this person over here, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland. Yeah, I'll name names. Um, and, and some of these TV evangelists. He was like, don't, don't, don't sweat those guys. And I, I wouldn't, number one, I wouldn't give them a dime. Uh, and number two, I, I look at that and be like, you know what? Uh, this, this ministry, Kenneth Copeland Ministries, this Benny Hinn Ministries, those will fade away. And what will reside is the truth of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but guess what? My word will never pass away, thus saith the Lord. And so we need to abide in truth. And part of truth says we have to do something with whenever God says that uh, we can be healed. We can be healed um, through, through our confession and through the calling of the, calling of the elders. And so, um, does that make sense? Uh, I think there's... I think there's a lot to unpack, and I think it's really, really hard, hard to unpack. And I probably need to do a podcast to uh, further explain all of this, but I feel like we're, we probably get too much in the weeds just for a Sunday morning sermon. And so does God heal people? Yes, he does. Um, does he do it according to his uh, sovereign will and plan? Yes, he does. Does he do it to magnify the healer? Absolutely not. He does it to magnify Christ. He does it to magnify the Lord. And if anyone is making it about themselves, they are completely out of line. They're completely out of line. So that's why he says, call the elders, the ones that are shepherding the flock of God, and, and have them pray. Because, listen, it's not an automatic deal. Uh, there, there, there was multiple times whenever Paul was going throughout the land. And at one point it says, God was performing, this is Acts chapter 9, it says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And a, and a, a huge sign of the power of God working uh, within Paul. And then there was multiple times, but Paul had a thorn in the flesh that he could not heal. And he asked God to take it away. And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And what we see in the book of Galatians is that Paul was only there to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because he was sick. Why didn't he heal himself? Because he couldn't. He couldn't. He prayed and asked God, and God said no. It's always his prerogative. And Paul even tells Timothy to say, hey, I know that you have frequent ailments. Why why didn't he just go, Timothy, your your tummy hurts. I healed you. You know, like, why why didn't you just do that? He, He probably did, and God said no. God said no. And so it uh. Is there this identity of a healer in the New Testament? I don't think there is. Does God use people to heal people through their prayer and through their earnest seeking of him? I think he does. I think he does. And I think the Bible supports that um, uh, very, very clearly. And so uh, it's always up to God because God is the one in in control. Um, James said right before this, he said, uh, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. If the Lord wills, James 4, 15, we'll do this and that. And the same thing with uh, this idea of healing. If it's God's will to heal people, he will. If it's not, he won't. 
in, if it's a believer, sometimes he'll heal them here, and sometimes he'll heal, he'll heal them in glory to where he, they get to see them face uh, the Lord, face to face. All right? I know that was thick and dense, and we need to talk about it more. Um, don't leave here uh, until you're like, hey, I need clarification there, uh, and I will, I will give, I'll give um, my best effort to it. All right? So uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that this isn't a mechanical thing. Uh, and the oil, I don't think anything is really special about the oil. If you look at verse 14, it says, Call the elders, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, this is not a young living, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, plan or anything like this that you need to subscribe to or anything like that. No, I think this is just one of the ways that it could be taken two ways. Number one, it could be taken as medicine, anointing them with the best medicine that they possibly had um, during the day, which a lot of times was just uh, different oils uh, to uh, help people feel better. Or it could have just been like, you know what? We are the people of God who are making everything in our life holy. And they said, one of the ways they can do that is consecrate, consecrate people who are sick and set them apart the same way that in the Old Testament they would consecrate the Levite and the king to say, the Lord is about to use you in a mighty way. And so they said, as we go in and as we pray for people, the oil was just uh, a, an opportunity to make the whole situation holy, make it all holy uh, for the Lord. And so uh, what we see in verse 15, let's move forward. Uh, it says this, the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This word save here is talking about physical healing. He's not talking about salvific um, saving. He's not talking about justification in, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about being saved from uh, something that uh, has made them ill. So it's not talking about salvation, but it's, there's a principle here that we need to really, really grasp. And here as 21st century Christians, one of the things that we struggle with a lot is this idea of the integration between who we are spiritually and who we are physically and emotionally. That I think um, there's a principle here that's also very biblical, that our spiritual health, our emotional health, and our physical health, they, they are, it is not a waffle-shaped, you know, different segmented parts of who you are. It is spaghetti in there, and it is all tangled up. It is all tangled up, and they are all touching, uh, touching one another, and this is who you are. You are not just your body. You are not just your mind. You're not just your emotions. You are also your soul. And what you feed your soul can directly link to how you're doing physically, how you're doing physically. Uh, can you draw a direct line every time you feel sick to some sin that you're committing? Absolutely not. No. Job says no. If you read the book of Job, uh, that's very clear. Jesus says absolutely not. Uh, Jesus, remember that, that instance whenever uh, the Pharisees come up to a blind man and said, oh, there's a blind man over there. Whose sins were that for? Was he blind for his sins or were he, were he blind, was he blind for uh, his parents' sins or his grandparents' sins? You know what Jesus says? He goes, what are you talking about? Neither. He's blind to display the glory of God. He's blind so that I will show you in front of your face how powerful the Son of Man is. And then he goes, not blind. And he, and he healed him right then. That's what that was for. He says, why was this guy blind? For the glory of God. Uh, and... and and really, that's a common thread throughout all of our circumstances in life. 
why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why? Really? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. He wants to teach us something. He is teaching us uh, something about ourselves. He's teaching us something about him. And he's really, for the Christian, he's using all of life's circumstance, circumstances for your sanctification, for your growth, your up, uh, upbuilding. That is, why he's, uh, that, that is what he's doing. So sin and sickness are not always linked, but sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know what that says? It says, uh, some of you have taken communion wrongly. And because of that, some of you have fallen sick, and, because, and also some of you have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying that you're, they died. <laughs> he says, because of your sin against the Lord's Supper, you, you are now sick physically, and some of you have passed away because of it. And so are, are all these things inter, intertwined? You bet they are. Are they always intertwined? Not always. Not always. Um, but we need to be listening with what God is doing in our, in our bodies and what God is doing with our emotions and, and think about how are we feeding our soul? Are we going to God and praying day in and day out? Are we abiding in him? Are we rejoicing in him? Are we loving him? You know, it's interesting, as I was studying this, one of the things that uh, I, I was looking at was different statistics about life expectancy. And I'm sure most of you have probably heard this statistic, but those that go to church uh, once, uh, once a week, either through a Bible study or a worship service like this or you know, just an accountability thing. It said that the University of Texas, 1999, did a long-term study. It said people that went to church once a week, on average in the general population, lived seven years longer. Whoa. <laughs> You're in the right spot, right? <laughs> like, if you want a long, happy life to, to uh, abide, in, uh, abide in the Lord and to, to fulfill his purpose for your life, uh, come to church. Come to church. And that was not something that was, uh, you know, that, that wasn't like Barna or uh, the Gospel Coalition putting that thing out. That was the University of Texas, you know, um, that said, this is just what we found through our data entry. Uh, pretty, pretty spectacular. And so James is saying, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, pray. And, and then he goes on to say, if you're sinning, you need to pray too. And you confess um, before you pray. Verse 16 says this, therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. And what James is saying here is that there's a truth that, need, that we need to be pumped up about. That the Lord, the, the creator of heaven and earth is a God that heals us. And he's also a God that forgives us. This is his business. Blessed is the man, uh, Psalm 32 says this, blessed is the man who does not count the iniquity against him, who the Lord does not count iniquity against him. And, and David says this whenever he, uh, you know, had that whole Bathsheba incident. Uh, he says, I kept silent before you and my bones wasted away. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up by the heat of summer. You know what he's saying? If you do not confess your sin, because we are heart, body, soul, and strength in our person. Uh, there's a vitality. There's a connection between you and this life that will make you miserable. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about this. It says, the spirit is against the flesh, and the flesh is against the spirit. These are opposed to one another so that you cannot do what you want to do. I've heard it said that, uh, you know, people that are apart from Christ, you know what they're doing? They're just so miserable. They're like living it up, and they're living in their sin, and they're miserable. No, that's not what the Bible says. 
they're living it up. They, they have no idea uh, the reality of what they're made for. They're not miserable. They're just living in sin. Uh, and, and their sin is blinding to them. The most miserable person that the Bible displays is someone that bears the name Christian and is living a different way. You want to know what makes you miserable in this life? As you say, I, I want to walk and follow with Christ, but there is this mutant closet of my sin that I've never told anyone about. And it's growing and it's festering. And if that's you in, in this room, my encouragement for you here at Redeemer is to get plugged in. Uh, we are a very simple church here at Redeemer. Uh, we, do, we do three things. Uh, and it's the three things that Jesus did. Jesus got up and taught, taught the Bible. Sometimes he taught it to large crowds like this. Then he explained the Bible to his 12 disciples, something we call uh, gospel communities. And then he lived his life purposefully with Peter, James, and John, what we call grow groups here at Redeemer. And this is a place that you can be accountable. It's a place that you can be honest and vulnerable and say, hey, here's this closet of junk that I feel like I haven't been able to tell anyone in my entire life. I'm bringing it forward. Jesus, Jesus modeled this for us. Want to know how we know that Jesus was sweating drops of blood in the garden? Because Peter, James, and John were with him, and they saw it, and they recorded it. He said, my soul is bereft to the point of death. He didn't share that with the 12 disciples. He just shared that with his guys. He said, he said come up to me, come up with me on this mountain. He was transfigured before them, and he said, don't say anything until I have ascended to the right hand of the Father. There's, there's some parts of Jesus' life that he did with a close-knit group of people. And so there's some of us in this room that you, you sense in your person, you're like, I, you know what, I, there's an energy that I don't have. There's a vitality that I don't have because I'm living in the sin that I've never told anyone about. And the best thing that you need to do is you need to listen to my words and you need to join a local church, even if it's not this one. And you need to say, where is a good place that I can have gospel-centered accountability that points me to Jesus every single day? To where I can confess my sins and not bear my burdens alone. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other. So that why? So that you can be healed. So that you can walk the life that the Lord has for you. This is what this passage is trying to communicate to us. And look what it, it goes on to say, this amazing thing. He goes on to say that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's saying, Elijah was no different than you and I. Elijah, you could just be sitting in this room. And we, he wasn't this holy man. He didn't have this aura around him. He says, he was a, a man that had a nature like ours, but he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. On the earth. That man communed with God. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, the spirit of God was on him. And those that have faith in Jesus in this room, the Spirit of God is dwelling in your heart. He's saying that the temple of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so therefore, therefore, we have this great responsibility to abide and to remain. And if you aren't, listen, you know you're miserable. You know you're miserable. Confess your sins. This is what God has given us the church. Confess your sins to a father or mother in the faith. Confess your sins to a brother or sister in the faith. You need a local congregation that points you to Christ, that reminds you of the brokenness that is in your own heart and why Jesus came and died. Want to know why? Because he's a healer. He's a healer. He wants to forgive you and he wants to heal you. He, want, he doesn't want you to live in your sin. This is the reason the Son of Man came, came to put an end to the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. 
to put an end to the works of the devil. Are you still living by lies? Are you? You don't have to. The Son of Man came to break loose the chains of our sin and of our slavery. We are no longer bound by sin and death. We are bound by the grace of God. We are slaves to God, which means, you know what that means? It means that we can live for our main purpose in this life. Remember whenever Jesus came, he quoted that passage in Isaiah that says, then whenever the Lord will come, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. The link between the physical and the spiritual, we have this hope. We have this hope of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And he will transform your heart. And also, he has provisions for us as the community of God to love him, to cherish him, to walk with him, to delight in him, and to function together as a gospel-centered, disciple-making community. And that's our hope. That's my prayer for you. Will you pray with me?